This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I'm going to start in this series. We're excited about it. I'm going to give you um, a definition of the word forward. You say, well, that's okay, I think I know what forward means. No, I want to throw in kind of three basic thoughts around this definition. And the first one is this. It means in the direction that one is facing or traveling. Now, there's some people that can perfect the art of walking in a direction that they're, they're actually looking at somewhere else. Some people with their phones walk into poles. How many have ever seen that? Yeah, I've seen it. And it's so funny. The worst one I've ever seen was actually last year we had the... the Amazing privilege of finding these super cheap deals to go to Canada's Wonderland. First time our family had ever gone to Canada's Wonderland. And I had to head out to our, our van for one thing. I'm not going to say why. And, um, and I get out there, and there's these two guys, pro- well, probably about my age, and they're walking down uh, the sidewalk, not paying attention to the fact that the sidewalk actually veers to the right. And there's a little tiny building that is set up Right at the front there, for the old style used to, remember how you used to hand in tickets at Canada's Wonderland? They had that little old style little kind of hut. And they, both of them, looking down at their phones, walk face first into the building. And I'm like 25 feet behind them, and I'm laughing. And they, they, thankfully, they were kind of able to just laugh it off and move on. But I want you to hear this. Forward means to move in the direction that one is facing. It means onward as to make progress. Or it means relating to or concerned with the future. I want to just tell you just a brief little story that takes place in the book of Exodus. It's the nation of Israel that has literally just left Egypt. And they've left slavery. And they've left literally hundreds of years of slavery. And Moses is leading them out. And they get to this incredible moment that we read about in the book of Exodus. But if you actually put yourself in the midst of, you know, there's shoes and in their situation. I don't know if we'd be as that excited. We'd probably be much, much more like them. But here's what happens. They leave Egypt. Everyone's excited. We're finally out of slavery. This is the best. They keep walking forward and they get to a very, very big body of water called the Red Sea. And normally you think to yourself, no big deal, because we can just walk around it, right? Awesome. Problem. The Egyptian army's right on their heels. So what is in front of them is the Red Sea. What is behind them is the Egyptian army. So it's kind of like, well, pick your poison. What do you want to do, die by drowning or die by the sword or whatever it is that the, the Egyptian army is coming with? Pick your poison. And so how many know that when you see two scenarios that neither of you like, what usually happens from human nature is we start to complain? God, why did you bring us here? God, I loved being beaten senseless by all the Egyptian taskmasters, but I loved the onions. Like, that's how ludicrous we get when we're complaining. Give me the onions and help. I just want to be beat senseless. Please do it again. So that's all they're literally remembering in that moment. So they come and they do what, you know, the nation of Israel consistently did throughout the Old Testament. is They came to their leader and went, I don't like this plan. I don't like what you're doing. I don't like what God is doing. I don't like it at all. And Moses did what every great leader does. He goes, (sighs) 
why did you give me these people? <laughs> like, seriously. I'm trying to lead them out of Egypt, and we come to the Red Sea, and they complain. They were in the wilderness, they complain. They didn't like the food. They didn't like the drink. They didn't like this. They didn't like that. They didn't even like the fact that we got them Birkenstocks sandals that lasted for 40 years, but they're complaining about their sandals already too. So here is God's response to Moses coming to him saying, what do I do with these people? This is his response, Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, God's response to Moses. And he said, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Think about this for a second if you're the leader and you have to take that information back to the nation of Israel. You're going back to the heads of the, of the, the tribes and you're going back to all these leaders and the, you know, all these elders in the, in the tribes and you're going back and you're saying, I got news from God. He told us, go forward. And then they're like, okay, we got to talk to the heads of the clans and the heads of the families in each of the tribes. And they go tell the heads of the tribes and the clans and all this stuff. And they go, God told us to go forward. So the heads of the clans, the tribes go to the heads of the elders and they go, tell God and Moses that's impossible. So the elders go, okay. And then they go to Moses. They say, that's impossible. There's no way that's going to happen. So Moses, in his infinite wisdom, from that moment on, shut up. Went, okay, I got nobody with me. How many know that great leaders have no one following them most of the time? <laughs> Why is this important? Because they're not moved by the voices of yesterday. And they're not moved by the voice of this can't be done. They have the voice of what I call the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think. Remember that story? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. He looked at it and went, okay, this is no longer calling for discussion. This is no longer calling to figure out what forward means. This is a call for action. I want you to understand from the very first moment of this series that going forward or forward living is about action. But it starts with a perspective. It starts with a heart. It starts with a mind that is in alignment with the purpose and will of God. So what was God saying? Go forward in the direction that you are facing. Oh, facing the Red Sea. Go. Go onward as to make progress. In other words, staying here is not going to make progress. Going back is not making progress. Going forward is making progress. Okay? They complain. Oh, sorry, Move literally or relate to or be concerned with the future, not the past. This is literally a moment where God is teaching the nation of Israel about what forward living is all about. There's an incredible story um, in the New Testament as well. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. In the book of Philippians, which is to the church of Philippi. And it's the Apostle Paul writing this beautiful letter to probably what most scholars believe is his favorite church. Just love in this church. And he starts talking about what it means to be a forward-living Christian in a forward-living church. I'm going to start in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And it says this, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on 
that I may lay hold of that which for Christ Jesus has also taken hold of me. I press on, I lay hold of that which Christ has taken hold of for me. So forward living at its very core is about attaining the Jesus kind of life. That's it. It's about not wasting or taking for granted what Jesus gave us. Which is huge. He goes on to say in verse 13 and 14, he says, uh, Brothers or sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I heard this story years ago, and I, I, I do believe it's valid, although I haven't confirmed it with thousands of farmers. But literally hundreds of years ago, when farmers would literally start to plow their ground, um, and it's why most fields, if it's done right, is actually plowed from, like it's plowed west to east or east to west, not north to south, is because what a farmer would do is at the moment that the sun would rise, they would put their plow in the ground, keep their eye on the sun at the sunrise point, and walk towards it to plow the first row. And then after that, every row would be just in alignment with that first row. And so it's the same concept that we have today. If our eyes are on the sun, not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N, Everything that we do, everything that we're plowing forward with is going to be aligned to the plan of purpose and the mission of God. Okay? So you have to understand that. This is huge. So I am moving forward. I'm moving onward as to make progress. What's that progress? To live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. That's our mission. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. Amen? But there's this interesting phrase that jumps out in this passage here. It talks about the upward call. And there's another version, I think it's the NIV, says the high call of God. And anytime I read things like that, it gets my attention. I'm like, okay, God, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. You can say that that's the perfect will of God for your life. You can say that that's the, the, the ministry call for your life. You can say that that's living like Jesus, loving like Jesus. I personally like that one. Just saying, pastor of the church that has this mission statement. I like that one. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm less interested in exactly what that looks like, but how do I get there? In other words, how do I get to that upward call? How do I get to that high call? And there's two things that Paul shares with us today that is the two reasons as to how we get to the high call or the upward call of God or that place of fulfillment, whatever you want to call it. First thing is this, forgetting what lies behind. Second one is this, reaching forward to what lies ahead. Awesome, we have this. Okay. Can you put up the, the uh, rearview mirror? Okay, we got, I actually had props, but then I realized I can't do this and hold the mic at the same time, so I'm just going to point to the picture. You guys can figure it out. Okay, so think about this for a second. If you're sitting in a car, sitting in the driver's seat of a car, and you got your rearview mirror, there's a couple of different reasons why you would have your rearview mirror. Some of you never use your mirrors, and maybe you should. Just saying, okay, all right, all right. But I want you to imagine your life for a second, living your life by always looking through the rearview mirror and what that actually does to your life and how it actually hinders your progress and your forward momentum and movement toward the high call of God in your life. Okay, so why in the world do we use a rearview mirror? The first thing is this, well, to look what's behind you. 
you want to see what's behind you, right? Not a bad idea when you're driving. But the problem is, is you cannot move forward safely if you're looking back. So think about that for your own life. You can't move forward safely if you're always looking back, okay? That's the first thing. Second thing is this. To look at someone who's speaking in the back seat. How many have children? Sometimes it's not even to look at those people in the back seat to see what they're saying. Sometimes it's, it's um, you know, parental moments where you're watching what's going on so that you have an in as to how to correct it, right? Okay? But I want you to understand here uh, something very, very simple. Oftentimes in our spiritual journey, we look at people behind us because they're younger. In our case, we have five kids that are behind us in the van. We often want to look at people that are not as far ahead as we are in order to feed a point of pride in our life to never help us to push forward where we're at. We're just get comfy. If I just keep my eyes on someone who's always never going to catch up to me, then I feel like I'm doing well. Everything's good. I don't have to push forward. I, don't, I can just stand here and watch while the Egyptian army throws things at me and while the Red Sea splashes water on me, and I'd just be content with that. Hmm. The third reason we look in that mirror, for, and I'm going to deal more with the, the women for a second because I don't know too many men that would do this, although I'm sure some do, but to look at yourself while putting makeup on. For a guy to make sure there's nothing in our teeth. Right? The problem with moving forward is if your attention and your focus is on yourself, you'll never move forward. So by looking in that mirror and looking at yourself, you cannot move forward in the things of God because you are distracted by self. Fourth thing is this. To look in when you need to go in reverse. And the only person that I've ever seen perfect this ability by moving, actually driving forward is Tomater from the movie Cars. That's the only person I have ever seen perfect driving in reverse forward. In other words, none of you can do it. <laughs> so why is this important? If the only thing you're doing is going in reverse, you'll never see the high call of that, 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 you know, that special call. You'll never see the forward momentum of God in your life. What you're going to be reminded of is where you've been and how that hurts. That's all that happens when you go backwards. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, that was awful. Oh, I remember that too. That was awful. And some of you are like, well, I just like reminiscing about the kumbaya moments. The problem with the kumbaya moments is they were probably in 1951 and God has moved on. Kumbaya, my Lord. Oh, that was such a special time in that prayer meeting in June of 1951. Yeah, it was. But he wants to do something in what? March of 2020. So he's saying, Yes, be thankful. Yes, be grateful. I was there. That's awesome. But be ready for what's next. Amen? Okay. Too many of us spend time, for a variety of reasons, looking in the rearview mirror and not moving forward. I'm going to make another statement. This was not in my notes, but I, I felt it this morning when I got up. You know what? Um, there's a big word in the New Testament that's used by every main leader. It's a word that is a, most people are afraid to talk about because it's kind of like, oh, that's, ooh. But it's the word repent. And we hear that word and you're like, oh, I don't like that word. Why? Because it means that I have to deal with something in my heart. But too many religious people have actually made the concept of repentance this painful, 
whoa, agonizing. Whoa, this is so hard. When all God is saying is just repent, invite me in, I'll do amazing work, and then let's move forward. Right? I shared this story for years in Equip 101. I'm going to share it here this morning because I love this story. How many have ever seen the cute little getup uh, in the middle of the Cataraqui Mall for Christmas with all the little kids sitting with Santa, and it's so cute, and all the little, the little elves, and it's like, oh, this is the best. Well, back in Oshawa, there was a mall that's probably about 10 times the size of the mall here. Literally, it's huge compared to Cataraqui Mall. Cataraqui Mall, so you get in, it's like, oh, is that it? <laughs> okay, we're done. All right, says the person from the GTA. Okay, all right. But in the Oshawa Center, there was this massive, massive, like Santa's Playland in the middle of the mall, outside of Old Navy, and it was like this massive thing. And they used to have so many different lights and so many different things going on that they had all of these cords that were being run from underneath the main unit all the way to the side wall so they could be plugged in and everything. And then they ended up putting those rubber mats down to protect you from tripping over the cords. Problem I always have with that is you may not trip over the cord, but you probably trip over the mat. So there was this one day, Again, just like seeing the guys at Canada's Wonderland that walk into the building, I saw this guy that you could just tell was so distracted by this cute little girl on Santa's lap with cute little curls, just sitting there and telling Santa, yeah, I want a trip to Hawaii, and I want a new Lamborghini. No, that's not what she was saying. But anyway, distracted by this cute little kid and didn't turn back to see where he was going, hit the front of that mat and went down as hard as you can imagine. And there's two types of responses when you do something like that. Option one is you get up as fast as you can in hopes that no one related to you or no one in school with you or no one you work with or no one that's in your neighborhood was around at that particular moment. And you get up as fast as you can and you keep walking as if nothing ever happened. The second one is where you stay down on the floor, face down into the floor, banging the floor going, oh, that is so embarrassing. I'm just such a crazy, I don't know what am I doing. Oh, that's, I can't believe I did that. That's the worst. I'm the worst person in the world for doing that. And I want you to understand here this morning that I actually just gave you the pathway to repentance. You have two choices. You can stay down and wallow or you can repent, allow God in, get up and keep going. The enemy loves to remind you of what you messed up with. But God is here to say, hey, let's just partner together. Sin, yeah, sin is nasty, but let me help you. Just repent. Why is repentance so important? Why? Because it transforms your heart. Why is that important? Because then the chains of the enemy can no longer chain you and hold you back from what God is trying to do in and through your life. Repent. Move on. Don't stay down and wallow. That's condemnation speaking. That's shame speaking. That is not the heart of God. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says it is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has made me free from the law of sin and death. That is what we need to walk in. Amen? All right. There's another mirror that we can use. It's called the side mirror. And how many know that objects are closer than they appear? So why is it important to use a side mirror? There's two reasons that you have to understand here this morning. Very simple thoughts. Okay? We use a side mirror. What's important about the objects being closer? Because we are reminded of the lessons that we have learned so that we can apply them to move forward. What is the entire main purpose of a side mirror for the most part? On a highway, it is to actually make sure you have enough distance from the car coming in that lane so that you can actually go out 
from behind the car in front of you, pass them and move forward. What does God want you to do today? He wants you to get out from where you are and move forward with his help. Being reminded of the lessons that you've learned. Not to make you feel awful or to make you feel bad, but because you've repented and the enemy no longer has a voice to remind you of those things because you've repented for it. And the blood of Jesus covers every sin. You can move forward. Amen? All right. So, how do we live out this concept of forward living? Paul actually talks about it. What did he have to forget? What do you have to forget this morning? Well, the first one is this in verse 2 and 3. It's actually religious people. (laughs) Take it from somebody who grew up in a very religious church. That religious people are some of the, and I'm going to, I have to be careful how I say this. But the enemy can use those people more than most people because they know how to speak the language that makes you hear it and makes you relate to it. But what they actually speak of is they speak of, a, of the language of fear and condemnation. That's what they speak of. They speak out of legalistic hearts. But I want you to li- listen to this in verse 2 and 3. It says this. This is Paul's description of the religious leaders of the day. Watch out for those dogs. Hmm. Those people who do evil. Uh-oh. Those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So what were the religious leaders trying to do? They were trying to put some sort of Old Testament law on New Testament believers to make them understand that this high call of God can only come through observation of these ceremonial things. And Paul said, nope, it's about the circumcision of the heart. It's about repentance and new life coming from Christ. Amen? So, religious people love to rely on their own efforts. Jesus' followers love to rely on Jesus and what he did for them. Second thought is this. Religious people have a form of godliness but deny the power of Christ. So they can look kind of churchy, they can look kind of godly, but they deny the very power that can set them free. Okay, Jesus' followers know that without him, they have nothing. We talked about that with the whole Rooted series. Religious people always talk about how it used to be. Jesus' followers are excited about what is next, what is right in front of them, the mission of God that God is requiring of them. The second thing is this. What else did Paul have to forget? He had to forget his good behavior. Verse 4, it says this. Though I also may have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. In other words, he's saying, man, I've got quite the list of things that I can do. I've done it all. I'm smart. I'm, I'm eloquent. I can, I can out-argue anybody on any topic known to man because he was that. But you have to understand that your good behavior, even though it does come from a relationship with Christ, your good behavior, your good deeds, your good works does not constitute forward living. It's to the degree that you're connected to the heart of God so that your behavior and good works follow that or match that is what's most important. We follow Jesus, not our good works. Amen? The third thing is this, verse 5. What else did Paul have to forget? His family. I'm going to explain this so that you don't misunderstand me. Okay? Verse 5, in the first part, it says, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. He was literally talking about his lineage, his heritage, and all of these things that he was born into. He was talking about his family lineage, his heritage. But you have to understand this morning... That while family 
has an incredible ability to either hinder you or help you, who you're related to, who has, shares the same last name, at the end of the day, is not the precursor and determining factor on how far you go in accomplishing the high call of God for your life. Now, should they be important? Yes. Should they help? Yes. But it's not everything. What else did Paul have to forget? The second part of verse 5. He had to forget his knowledge, what he knew. He says he is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee, you have to understand, is somebody who spent their entire life's existence studying the Word of God. So if there's anyone that knew it, he did. Okay? His knowledge could not carry him to this forward-living place. Just couldn't do it. Okay? So I want you to see how he ends verse 6 here. This is actually interesting. He says, concerning the zeal persecuting the church. Sorry, concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. I call this thought, your kind of your next thought that you have to forget, or what you, I call your points of pride. Okay? His zeal, his, he was blameless. You have to forget those things that would cause prize, or pride to rise up in you and cause you to walk in that. Anything that makes me think or feel that I don't need Jesus is a point of pride in our lives. And it's something we have to lay at the foot of the cross and allow him to take up, heal, and bring forgiveness to. Pride, interestingly enough, lives in the past about what I can do, what I've been good at, what, are, what I've accomplished in my life. Faith in Christ drives forward living. There's a journey of faith that comes for those that are trusting God that is just off the charts. It's amazing. So I want you to just for a second remember that rearview mirror illustration, okay? When the focus is ourselves, when the focus is on those that are behind us, when the focus is on anything but Jesus, there's a number of points of pride that can actually come from our lives, okay? Think about this. Some people are out there today, you can see a lot of their podcasts or YouTube videos, and they will literally argue, I don't need Christ because I'm too smart for that. That is the faith of the ignorant. How many have ever heard that? All right, I have. I've had that t said to my face a number of times. And you know what my response to them is? Not every time, but if I have the moment and I can get the in, I do. I'll look at them and I'll say, you know what? Knowledge and obedience are two different things. Because I've seen a lot of Christians that say, well, I know this. And I go, well, there's a big difference between knowing something and obeying God. Amen? Second thought is this. I don't need Jesus because I'm so talented. I can do it on my own. And my response to that is, talent does not invite the presence of God. Humility does. All right, that's good. Good point. How do I know? Philippians 3, 7, 10, it says this, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. All right, I'm going to step on another one. Here we go. Another reason why our point, of, I'm going to say, is another point of pride 
is I don't need Jesus because I'm young and healthy. In other words, I haven't had my scare yet. I don't even know people like that. I don't need to follow Jesus right now. I'm going to do my own thing for a little bit. I'm going to figure it out. And then once I come crashing down, maybe I'll call out for him. And the problem is, is Jesus doesn't want to be a 911 God. He doesn't want to just be Savior. He wants to be Lord. Right? Yes, he wants to save you from your sins, but he wants to be Lord of your life. In other words, he wants you to move from being a backseat driver handing over the keys of your life to him and trusting him with the journey. Amen? All right. Here's another one that I've heard. I don't need Jesus because I'm a good person. How many have ever heard that one? And my response is, well, the Bible says that there's nobody good but God. Well, that eliminates that thought. Okay? And here's another one that breaks my heart over and over and over again. And I'll tell you why it breaks my heart, because this was my life. Is there's other people that say, I don't need Jesus because I'm too bad. In other words, I'm a mess. Why in the world would he even waste his time with someone like me? And my response is, that is the mercy and the grace and the love of an amazing God that doesn't see you for where you're at, but sees you for where you can get to and wants to walk with you forward in that path and in that process. Amen? All right. So remember the first key. Forget those things which are behind. Okay? If there's one thing I've learned in that journey of forgetting those things which are behind, I've learned one thing, that you cannot fret and follow at the same time. It just doesn't work. Because the moment you fret, you're actually in the kingdom of self. And to follow means you have to be in the kingdom of God. Right? To fret means, oh, is everything okay with my face? i got to check my face. You're looking in the mirror again, and you're looking at you. But God wants you to move from fretting, worrying, all those things, into the place of following God. Okay, second thought is this. Reach forward to that which is ahead. I'm going to read Philippians 3, 12 to 14 again. It says this. Not that I've already attained or have already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which for, uh, for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word reach literally means to strain forward. Um, I'm sure you are all like me. In the last couple of weeks, probably a couple months now, we've been following uh, the coronavirus pretty daily. I'm sure you all are. And um, we're heading down to the U.S. Uh, next weekend for March break into Virginia. And that's the one thing I've been looking at every day is, are there any cases of the coronavirus in Virginia? Thankfully, as of today, there's none. Um, but it's literally captured our attention. And there was an article that came out about a week ago that started the discussion of, should we cancel the Summer Olympics in Tokyo? Because one of the outbreaks is in Japan. The other outbreak's in South Korea, and there's obviously a pretty close connection there. And obviously, we don't know what they're going to do. But it started to remind me of um, the 2016 Olympics in Rio. I don't know if you guys enjoy the Olympics. I love it. Um, I love certain sports and certain, uh, certain ones more than others, for sure. But one of the things that stood out about the Canadian team for the 2016 Rio Olympics was how strong the women's side was. 
And they're actually saying the same thing. There was just a, an article in Sportsnet a couple days ago that basically predicted all of the potential winners of medals for Team Canada. And they're saying there's going to be 22, and they're predicting 18 of them are going to come from women or women's teams. And then it reminded me in 2016 of this actual principle in action. I don't know if you guys remember Penny Oleksiak. She was one of the uh, swimmers for, the, for Team Canada. She was in multiple, uh, multiple events, including a couple of the team relays. But it was the, uh, I'm trying to think, it was, I think it was the freestyle that literally with 20 meters to go in the race, it was a 100-meter freestyle, with 20 meters to go, she was fourth. And they always said that one of the things that separated Penny from every other swimmer was her final kick was insane. It was almost supernatural. She could go into a whole other level of sprint that very few other swimmers could do. So she would always just pace herself and then find that last 20 to 30 meters and then gun it. And what was so beautiful when CBC just kept playing this, this little race over and over and over again is you saw her left hand reaching out, and you could just, it's almost like Go-Go Gadget Arm. Remember the cartoon from the 80s? Woo! Go-Go Gadget Arm. And it's like her, her arms stretched beyond anything you could ever imagine. And what was so cute about Penny at the time was that she was afraid to look up at the clock, and so her thing was as soon as she touched, she just looked down and was looking in the water, and then she's looking in the water, and then she kind of does this and looks to the side, and looks to the side, and turns around. She won the gold. And then she lost it. But it was the effort to strain for what was ahead of her that won her the prize. What do I want you guys to understand today? There's an intentionality about letting go of yesterday. You can't just marinate in it anymore. The idea of marinating in yesterday's sauce is, is not going to get you anywhere. But the second thought is this, to stay complacent or just sit there and do nothing is not moving forward either. You have to strain for the high call of God. And I want you to understand there's a difference between straining for something and striving for something. Striving shows that your heart's not in the right place. Straining means you're all into the mission of God. And you're going to do whatever you can to, to, to make it happen. Amen? So what I want you guys to understand today, I feel like we as a church have the Red Sea in front of us called the miraculous. And we've got yesterday's army bearing down on us, reminding us of all the times and all the things that we've messed up. All the times we've regretted something. And he's, God is simply looking at us as a church this morning and saying, go forward. What does that look like? Go forward. What do I do? Take your left leg and then your right leg and then the left one again and just keep going. So what happens if I'm, I'm not as fast as Penny? Doesn't matter. Just swim. So I can only do a doggy paddle. Do the best doggy paddle in the world. It says, I, I, need, I need floating devices to do it. That's okay. Use every floating device known to man to make sure you don't drown. But keep moving forward. But all these other people are ahead of me. It's okay. 
They're on a different path with God. Let them do their thing, but you do your thing with Him. But don't look back. Don't let yesterday's voice ruin today's potential. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.